morning. Welcome to Into the Pray. This is something of a devotional session this morning, looking at just a few short verses in the book of Job. And I want to use these verses this morning to also provide something by way of insight into what it means, I think, today to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. What it means to operate prophetically on behalf of the building up of the church in Agape. There have been a couple of incidents recently where I've been reminded about this and whenever this kind of thing happens, it doesn't ever it doesn't ever seem less painful to me. It always feels like Bildad or Zophar or the friends of Job throughout the book. Uh, who attempt to counsel Job in the midst of his suffering and in the midst of his um, relative blamelessness. I want to just read a couple of intro verses this morning that will hopefully bless you and that will hopefully, um, the relevance of which will hopefully strike you. Firstly, Job chapter 12, verse 11, thinking of testing prophecy and thinking of... um, prophecies for the UK church recently that I've responded to, that kind of thing. Job 12, 11, does not the ear test words as the tongue tastes food? Does not the ear test words as the tongue tastes food? Think of making yourself a cup of coffee or a cup of tea in the morning and putting milk in that has past its sell-by date. Does not the ear test words as the tongue tastes food? If that happens, if you put dodgy milk in your morning coffee, don't you know it? You don't need to sit down and work it out. You know as a reflex instinct. If you open a chicken that you're about to put in the oven for your evening meal and there's something not quite right about the smell of it, something that would make you think this isn't safe to eat, does not the ear test words as the tongue tastes food? God has given us reflexes in the natural. And it's no less true. In fact, it's infinitely more true in the spiritual. With the Spirit of God, the promise being that the Holy Spirit would lead us not into partial truth or into subjective truth but into all truth and that's that's the way to listen to that verse when we listen to words of prophecy when we listen to predictive uh statements about the church particularly does not the ear test words the answer to that is yes and thinking of verse 15 in chapter 12 if he holds back the waters there is drought If he lets them loose, they devastate the land. If he holds back the waters, there is drought. If he lets them loose, they devastate the land. London is burning. We have a we have a hose we have a um, a hose pipe ban. One moment, literally, we have drought. The next minute, we have flash flooding. And yet we have the best of the land meeting in cabinet rooms to discuss climate change with not a thought to the one who holds power and wisdom. If he holds back the waters, there's drought. As Joseph knew in Egypt, 
If he lets them loose, they devastate the land, as Noah knew full well. We are living in a godless, antichrist world. And one of the reasons that the prophetic ministry for the church being built up in Agape today feels so painful and so difficult is that the world is going to hell. And yet all the while the church can't even get in the same room. If you flick over to chapter 18, you've got Bildad's attempt to be godly and to be wise in response to Job's suffering. And I'm just looking at my Bible here, and at the very end of chapter 18, I haven't, I haven't written anything much by way of annotation in this chapter, but at the very end, after verse 21, I've written simply this. The impudence of the company mentality. The impudence of the company mentality. And obviously that's what had come to me at at some point in the past when I read this chapter. Thinking on the one hand of the suffering of Job, which is beyond any of our, most of our points of reference. And then the attempts of these men to speak into his situation. We all know, of course, that Job has his moment with the Lord directly towards the end of the book. But in the midst of that, leading up to that, there is this these exchanges between the suffering Job and the appearance of wisdom from these other three friends. And I've talked in, in months gone by about the company mentality, the difference between the kingdom and the company mentality, which is, I think, the difference between religion or legalistic forms of Christian spirituality denominationalism, you might say, and the kingdom and the prophetic um, the prophetic world of those who have been set free from that. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who's in a denominational church or in some form of church-based leadership this morning is bound in legalistic um, forms of legal, you know, of religion that are opposed to the kingdom. I'm blessed to know some quality church leaders who are who are not at all, who are leading reviving, disrupted congregations. And that is a blessing to me, as though I were in that congregation. But there remains an attitude, a prevailing attitude. I want to give you some examples. I've reached out in recent months to church leaders in this country and and abroad in different other countries. Now, for different reasons. There was, for example, one chap not far from here, um, here in Edinburgh, uh, an hour or two north of us. I don't know, back at the turn of the year, and I'd reached out because uh, I was concerned about some of the prophetic elements that he was um, he was communicating for for the church at large. I reached out, and the attitude was, which church do you go to, Nick? Which church do you go to, Franks? The implication being, and, and you'll appreciate this, is if you're not in a church, if you're not part of a Baptist union, if you don't have credentials after your name, you must be unteachable. If you're not in a local church, there couldn't be a bigger... Now, you've heard you, people listening to this podcast this morning will have heard me talk about these things. So you, you'll be familiar with my train of thought on this. Or a chap in America recently, similar thing, wanted to engage with the podcast with us and collaborate on a on a teaching to do with premillennial uh eschatology and that kind of thing and it literally emailed back to me was before before we go ahead can you just confirm two things firstly what church do you go to which church you're part of i couldn't see that in your on your website 
And secondly, um, did, did I see it right that you were encouraging people on one of your videos to take communion? Now, that second one really threw me because um, I, can under, I can almost anticipate certain, certain leaders of a certain age perhaps not quite understanding that if you're not in a local church locally, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a problem with you. It might mean that there's a problem more radically with the churches at large and with, with what we would understand evangelicalism to actually mean or the local church to mean. It couldn't possibly be that God was doing something more foundational. That as part of that, he would be using people to speak into the church from a place slightly detached from it in order to see the church built up in Agape. Couldn't possibly understand that. And so you can imagine that email exchange went south very quickly. But just let's just finish with some some verses here from Job that I think um, put a very, very fine point on this reality of what it means to be prophetic today. If you think of the likes of Elijah sat in relative isolation by the brook Cherith, being fed by ravens. And if you think about that, even in itself, just the way that the, the, the ravens were sovereignly controlled by the, the, provi- the provision of the Lord to give Elijah the meat that he needed, that ordinarily these ravens would have eaten themselves. Sovereign Lord is God over all creation. He had water. But the thing with Elijah is that he would have been gagging. He would have been desperate to speak into Israel in the midst of Ahab and Jezebel, etc., etc. And of course, God had other plans. God didn't want Elijah to be part of the system. He didn't want Elijah to be in the courtrooms at that point. He didn't want him to be one and amongst the mainstream. And so when you see the prophetic working in the different dispensation of the Old Testament, you have principles that I think still apply today in our New Testament period, which is that the prophetic isn't necessarily meant to be embedded within a local church. Often we we know that the local church just wholesale rejects the prophetic. Anyway, there there isn't a church structure often for there to be a multidisciplinary leadership whereby pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, etc. are part of a leadership. It just doesn't happen. You normally have pastors leading a church who aren't actually oftentimes gifted in leadership, let alone truly prophetic. And so there is a sense in which the inescapable reality of the prophetic is one of rejection. And there's a maturing process in that, whereby rejection forces the hand of the prophet to rely more on God. I think in in earlier years, that would often elicit certain behaviours in response from maturity and pain. You know, like if you're a if you're a twenty year old and you get punched in the face for Jesus, are you as likely to respond in as as a mature a way as you would do if you were a forty year old getting punched in the face for Jesus, or indeed if you're a sixty year old getting punched in the face for Jesus? Is the response likely to be the same? And of course, what happens is that growing through sanctification as a prophetic person yourself, you have to deal oftentimes with what is an overwhelming amount of rejection, an overwhelming amount of being misunderstood and attacked, like from these brothers, as an example recently, that, as I said at the beginning, doesn't doesn't necessarily diminish in the sense of its sting or the pain of it. But what does happen is that you grow in a sense of security before the Lord 
Do you remember what Joseph said to the to the um, cupbearer and baker in prison who'd had dreams? This is around about Genesis 40, verse 8. Take a look at it. And they were troubled because of these dreams they had. And what did Joseph say? Joseph said, do not, do not the interpretation of dreams belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Do not interpretations of dreams belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And what you have there is Joseph's profound security prophetically to be able to know, just like 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen says, some are in right standing with God and some are not. Joseph very much knew how much, just how much he was in right standing with God, regardless of any external voice to the contrary. Do not dreams of the interpretation you belong to. Tell me. God and I are like that. And so that's what happens as a maturing process for the prophetic, for those who have to have their beards yanked and their backs whipped by those who are supposed to be brothers and building the church up in Agape. And we see this reality in a maturing process here for Job. Let's just look at a few of these verses and then I'll pray. In Job 19, responding to Bildad, then Job replied, how long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it's true that I've gone astray, keeping in mind brothers who, who leveled that at me or others of you listening who have also dared to respond faithfully to what God has prompted you and led you to as regards to your relationship with the local church that is often unfaithful and never intends to be. If it's true that I've gone astray, said Job, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. Verse 8, he has blocked my way so that I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. He has stripped me of my honour and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots me. He uproots my hope like a tree. Remember the tree in Proverbs thirteen twelve: Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. He uproots my hope like a tree. Verse 11, his anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. This is Job expressing the, the, prof the profound depths of his suffering, the limits of his own human psyche being stretched beyond their limit in his suicidal desperation. These other so-called friends, so-called brothers, so-called fellow church leaders aren't able to relate with the way that God is working in Job's life. This is foreign to them. 
They weren't considered worthy to go through this. Then look what it says in verse 13. God has alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone astray. Sorry, my relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. I want to just say to you, if you're listening from a contrary place this morning or if you're listening from an empathetic, from a place of empathy this morning. I can relate with those verses I've just read in verses 13 and 14 that when push comes to shove, and Mary and I as a couple relate with this, by the way, this is not just me, when push comes to shove, we're on the planet for God. Look, at Paul says in 1 Corinthians somewhere that we exist for the Father, That's why we're on the earth. And so even when it comes to touching the most intimate bloodline relatives or family members or closest uh, childhood friends or whatever it is, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives by way of sanctification, which is preparatory unto the return of the Lord, is always going to trump family relatives, friends. And I would just ask you this morning, if you're listening, if you happen to be listening to this, have you got any personal experience of being alienated from friends or family or kin? Relationships that you've had for decades or have you got any experience of, in a sense, foregoing that in order to be truly wholeheartedly faithful to what the Lord has called you to do and to say, how to think and how to pray. And if you don't, do you think it's more appropriate to listen to what the scripture is saying here as as a regard to listening to what Job is saying? What do you think is more appropriate to be like Bildad or Zophar? Do you think it might be more appropriate that you listen to what the suffering Job is saying rather than acting in superiority against him? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that hope deferred does make the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And Lord, we do just say again this morning that our, our deepest longing is that you would come and make all things new. Every relationship, every friendship, every everything, that's our longing. And we have other longings as well, other lesser longings. And our prayer, my prayer this morning is that the church really would be, be built up in love and that within that there would be a posture change from those especially who err towards the side of Bildad and Zophar. Those brothers who struggle to relate with the journey that others have been led on by you. 
Lord, I, I think of the prophetic position of Elijah by the brook of Cherith without permission from you to minister into Israel, without permission to go to the official meetings of prayer and repentance. I think of these three friends of Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophel, and I pray that where there are traits of those three friends within church leaders, especially men from even specific denominations who can't even meet a brother without superiority and without condemnation and judgment. I pray that, that this wouldn't uh, deter people from eagerly desiring the gifts of your spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. And that as we add two and two together, recognising the costs involved in following your leadership, Holy Spirit, wholeheartedly, that we would be drawn to you, we would be allured to you more, and that we wouldn't sink or shrink back into fear of man, pandering to the crowds, pandering to the main status quo narrative. I pray that you would set your people free and that there would be a hearkening to the voice of the gifts of the prophets in this day, whoever they may be, wherever they are in the world, I pray that your voice would be heard like a distinct note of a trumpet and that your people at large would listen and that we would move forward together. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.